Hi, this is Gary McIntyre with Digital DBC. Uh, this is our first episode of our new series called This Is My Story. And our guest today is Harold Bannister, and he's here to tell us his story. So, Harold, we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Uh, tell us about how you came to DBC. It's 1968, which is a long time ago. I was promoted by IBM from Greenville, South Carolina to Atlanta. And one of the early things we did was look for a church. Back in those days, they had revivals. They also had Sunday night services. My wife and I decided we would visit churches on Sunday morning that were big, huge, just for entertainment, if you will. But we looked for our church home on Sunday evenings. So we went to two or three. We came to Dunwoody Baptist, and of course, none of these buildings were here. And what was A200 then is Anderson Hall now, I guess. On Sunday evening, they had the preaching service downstairs there, and, and we entered right at 7 o'clock, the time that we, we didn't come early enough for them to introduce us to anybody. So Dennis Spear was the pastor, and we had the normal singing, and then Denny preached, and but he never invented in, introduced the visitors, and I thought, I told my wife, we came in later than we think, because it, they always introduce visitors. So, but at the end of the service, Denny, that's when he had the visitors to stand up. There must have been 25 people there. So we, we, we enjoyed, that was the kind of church that we looked like we were wanting, and interesting enough, when after he introduced us and people started to welcome us, this lady ran up and hugged me and said, I bet you don't remember me. Her name was Brownie Lovett. I had replaced, he, he was with IBM, her husband's at IBM too, and I replaced him in Greenwood, South Carolina in 1957 for a couple of years. And she was stayed with my wife, we had a six-week-old baby, until we got a house. Then he, he moved to Kinston, North Carolina. We went home with Brownie, and they told us about the church. And the next Sunday, we joined the church, and have been some 52 years now. So you've seen a lot of changes in the past uh, many years. I came to know you probably about a year ago when I came on staff. When you started, uh, well, you take attendance for us. That's what you, we see you on Monday morning, uh, and uh, and you're in here, and you're taking the role, and you're doing all that stuff, and you have an Excel spreadsheet that, that what would you say? It's been going, you've been working on it for like 30 years or something? I retired from IBM in 1998, I guess, no, 89, excuse me, 89, and I tried to find something to do. I did, I was involved in Excel, but our church at that time kept records in Sunday school attendance on pink pieces of paper, and when they got all the reports made that they wanted, they filed them away in shoeboxes. There were stacks of shoeboxes, so I, I went to a lady named Marjorie Norton, who was the, the supervisor of that at the time and asked let me put these pink slips into excel and and, and put them in a the computer and that that was the beginning and uh at that time i also worked part-time for ibm after retirement so it wasn't always on monday it was sometime during the week a day that i was off i came back and did that it has now evolved in those 
31 years or so until we, we have systems. So I do two things. I enter data into the church system that they use, and I still have Excel spreadsheets that I develop, and I enter the, the, the attendance, who attended, and, and, and kept records of, of that sort, which I still do today. So how can you, can you tell me how you came to Christ? Before you came to DBC, uh, you were telling me a little bit about your story the other day, and I found it fascinating. How did you, you came to Christ later on in years, is that right? I had been married about two years, I guess, or three. I married a little young. I married, I was 19. And I was not a Christian at the time. Interesting enough, I lived like a Christian because my mother always said, you don't go to church on Sunday morning. You don't go anywhere on Sunday afternoon. So I went to church on Sunday morning. I, I lived like a Christian. I knew how. I listened to the preacher. I knew what to do. But I never actually accepted Christ. Then but my wife was a Christian. So she made sure we got to church also, just like my mother did. I got to thinking about it, and I don't know what caused me to begin to think somewhere some sermon or something I heard says there's more to it than the way you're living. So after talking, particularly with a friend that I went to high school with who had been a long-time Christian, then I come to the conclusion that I just had not accepted Christ into my heart, into my soul. And in a revival, the, about the third night of the revival, then I did go down and say, it's time. But I, it was no drastic. I, I expected something like Paul. I knew I knew that he got hit by lightning or something, and I was waiting for that, I guess. But mine was a calm conversion from a living standpoint, but with the believing and the studying the Bible and things came at that time. If you had an opportunity to to somehow go back in time and talk to a younger version of yourself and maybe give them some advice, what do you what do you think you'd want to tell that younger version of you? Well, the one thing from from my personal life that I look back and say I, I didn't do well. It came to my my parents worked in the cotton mill. My grandparents worked in the cotton mill, and I worked in the cotton mill. Once I, on the afternoons after after school, since I felt like that's what life had for me was going to be the cotton mill, I chose not to do very good in high school. It's a matter of getting through it and getting a diploma because I, I really would need it to get a job somewhere. But if I had to look back, the single most important thing I would have studied in high school, I got a basis for things. Two subjects I really loved, one was typing, and the other was math. I, I, every grade I was in in high school, I took math and uh, excelled in it, and loved it. But I didn't pay much attention to the rest of it. I, I got my diploma, but I would tell a young person, get the basic, and, and of course today, most people do go to college. Uh, there was no opportunity for it because there's no money for it. 
Oh, by the way, if it sounds like there's a, a like a thundering herd uh, of kids or there's something like an explosion or something that just happened, well, it's probably exactly what happened because we, besides running a church here, we also have uh, several schools that meet on our campus, and so they're always running up and down the halls, and so it's a sound that we love. We love having them here, uh, but that also makes it very difficult to go find a place to record in a way that you don't get to hear all that background noise. Our hope is to build a studio so that we can uh, dampen some of that sound and stuff. But in the meantime, hey, this is, this is what we have to offer. We have uh, interviews, we have kids running around, we have noise, uh, and we love every minute of it. So that's what's going on. So anyway, back to Harold. All right, Harold, uh, earlier this week you were telling me a story about how you, you, you had work at a security firm or alarm system or something like that. And you were able to take that, and that progressed into a whole different career. Uh, but for you, that even be, your career began before that. You, you said that you did some work in the cotton mills, and that kind of propelled you forward. Yes, I, I did work in the cotton mill. In fact, I worked in the cotton mill after school to make a little money. Once I was sixteen years old, then uh, when I finished high school. I, I had a full-time job, but soon after that, within a month after that, my dad, who was a person, he was a little fixer and could get a job any place. It was really in demand, so if he got mad at him about anything, he would quit and go get a job somewhere else. So one day, for whatever reason, he, he quit, but he didn't tell them. He got a job in another mill 11 miles away, when my brother and I went in on our shift at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we didn't tell him he quit. We assumed he did, told him. So after a little while, they come over and asked me, where's your dad? And I said, well, he quit. And they blew up about it and uh, let us finish the shift. Now, at 10 o'clock, about 10 minutes till 10, which would be the time for the shift to be over, the manager came by and says the old man, which was a manager, second line manager, said he wouldn't need you anymore. So they fired me and my brother because my dad quit. Well, earlier I think I said there was no money to go to college. But what I did as a teenager, I, I did woodwork. I had a wood shop. I did whatnots. And, and cabinet work and things like that. Then um, once, once they fired me, it, it was like God did it. If it, The way I left the mill was so angry that um, I, I went and got another job at the same place my dad did while I was doing this. But I sold my shop. I sold my car. I put together money. I, and my parents managed to come up with some I went to electrical school in Chicago, and when I came back, my dad had changed jobs in a, to another town. I could still work in a cotton mill, but my gut feel was all the time is they'll fire you because your dad quit. I didn't want to work there in the first place. So I got a job in the same place he was, went in at midnight, got off at eight o'clock, and for the first week, I ran the job eating on me all the time. I didn't go to electrical school to to, to work in a cotton mill. I'm going to be an electrician. But I worked the first five days. 
on Monday of the second week, I went in at midnight, and at 12.30, I go to the boss and said, I'm quitting. He said, you, you, you can't be quitting now. So I said, I'll stay on this job for one hour until you get somebody in here to fill in for me. And he did. I went over and told my dad I'd quit. He couldn't believe it. How are you going to get home? I said, I, when you leave in the morning, stop by the railroad station because that's where I'm going to sleep. But I'm not working in a cotton mill anymore. So that morning, I, that day, I got some sleep. The next day, I decided the Army would need electricians. I went up on the highway and hitchhiking from my little town to the county seat where there was a recru Army recruiting. While I was standing there hitchhiking, I looked across at, at, at what you now call, I guess you call a filling station back then. I saw a boy that I finished high school with, and since I was in no hurry, I went over to him and talked with him a little while, and in the conversation told him what I was doing. He says, Harold is a burglar alarm company that needs help. They try to find somebody, and you sound like you would fit it. So instead of going to join the Army, and I give credit for God for this one, I think, number one, he, he helped me get fired, but that number two, he decided it wasn't for the Army for me, so I got the job and spent four and a half years there. I skip a little bit. The, uh, I, I got drafted, the first draft of married men in the Korean War, 1951. I, I got the draft notice, and the bottom fine print says, you have two weeks if you will join some other, if you want to join some other service, you got two weeks, you can do it. So three of us, two other high school guys that was with me had the same situation. And we decided we'd go to the Air Force. So we would walk, fly over Korea, but we wouldn't walk through it. We go over to Anderson, which is 11 miles from my home, to the recruiting station. Then they sent us up to Greenville, which is 25 miles away, to get a physical in a and a test, mental test, we had to go back to Anderson to, to let the recruiter tell us if we passed or not. The recruiter says to me, you can go, there's going to be a, 19 people allowed to go and we got 190 people passed. Said you can be one of those 19 people. He said to my two friends, if Harold will go, then you can be one of the two of those 19 people. And we thought, well, we'll think about this. He said, but you got to leave tomorrow. That was, that was on Friday, and we had to leave on Saturday. So we said, well, we really ought to go talk with our wives. He gave us an hour to go back and talk with our wives and call him back. And we did. They agreed we should. So we, came, we joined the Air Force. We went in. The, Next day, we were sworn in in Greenville, and they gave us off till Monday to catch a train and go to Lapland Air Force Base. And I spent four and a half years in the uh, Air Force. I, I don't know if you want to get in. Hey, this is your story. There's, like I said to you earlier, there are no wrong answers. And so we look forward to hearing what you have to say. Okay, one of the things that I want to point out from time to time through here, there's, there's times when I feel like God had some 
thing to do with it. One is being drafted. You think the world go to come to the end? I wouldn't have volunteered, but I, I, it, it, because God let me in it or chose me, I, I feel like. So we went in the Air Force, went, spent two months in uh, Lackland. I went to Keesler Air Force Base for electronic schools. I was going to be there for six months in electronics and three months in radar <coughs> training. Either It would <coughs> either be the uh, ground or air radar. So before the six months was up of electronics, they chose about 30 of us out of that class to try out for, go to school in Chanute, Illinois, for aircraft instrument training. Prior to that time, if you worked on instruments on an airplane, you went through mechanics because they were propeller-driven and jets are coming out. So you had to have electronics in order to get into this class. It was a trial class. I spent four months there. Then I was stationed in... My permanent station became Albany, Georgia, Turner Air Force Base in Albany, Georgia. And since I mentioned earlier I was married, my wife joined me in in Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And then from there on, she was with me the rest of the way. She had always get a job wherever I went. But my permanent station in Albany, I, I was in an organization that, with, in case of an emergency, they picked up the whole wing and moved them someplace. So every few months, or about twice a year, we'd, they'd take a, it's a practice, they'd take the whole organization and go somewhere like McDill Air Force Base in Tampa or Eglin Air Force Base in, um, in, in Florida. But we also went to Japan for 90 days, 99 days from wheels up to wheels down. I spent three months in in Japan, but I spent one month in Misawa, Japan, on the main island. And then I moved up for two months in, um, to Sapporo. Spent two months on an army base. It's the first cavalry. We lived in Quonset huts. It snowed as much as six inches, I mean, I mean 16 inches. And uh, the Quonset huts were covered with snow, but then back and and back to Turner Air Force Base for, for the rest of the time. Like I said, I was in and out of it from time to time. But one thing that it turns out that every time I got time in grade with one stripe, I'd get the next stripe, and they. I didn't have a job to go back to because I had quit the job to, to go in the Air Force. So my wife and I had thinking about what do we do afterward. Since we had no place to go back and the Air Force had been really good to us, we thought about we'd, we would stay in the Air Force. About two months before my discharge date, I had CQ and it means I stay up all night and answer the phone and see after if it's emergencies or whatever there's a non-commissioned officer. Well, I, to do something, I'd shoot poo by myself or I read everything I could find. And I saw this warrant ad, about a half-inch warrant ad, saying that 
man was from this company that's going to be at the New Albany Hotel the next day. He was looking for college graduates or equivalent. And the curiosity of what was equivalent to a college graduate sort of got to me. So when I got home that morning, I told my wife, I'm staying up until 9 o'clock. I'm going to call this man and ask him what is equivalent to a college graduate, never thinking about a job. But I t- he did. I talked with him a while. He says, you know, you sound like with the electronics you got, the, you would fit the bill. You, do you want to come down and take the test and see about the job? And I told him I did, so I took a cold shower so I could stay awake and cleaned up a little bit with the shave. Go down and met with him. The man's name was Joe Sipple. He was out of the Columbus branch office, Columbus, Georgia branch office. So he says, I can't hire you. I passed all the tests that he wanted. He, they would hire me. But he says, i got to have somebody on the job before this three months or two months you got left. He gave me papers, though, said, fill these out, and this is when you'll turn them in, and um, we'll hire you for someplace. Well, they had hired somebody for Albany. Albany was good to us, and we had thought about staying there, but since we couldn't, my wife and I discussed if we're going to leave Albany, why don't we go back home and see if they have a job. So I went to Greenville, South Carolina. We lived 25 miles from there. Went to Greenville, and they hired me, except I got out of the Air Force on a Thursday. They wanted me at work on Monday. I said, I'd be gone for four years. I kind of like a week anyway. And they said, okay, you take a week, provided you take these books and study them because you're going to go to Endicott, New York, for school a week from now. So I, I, I did, went to work. And incidentally, that's when I met Brownie Lovett and her husband. The Greenville office had a little Christmas party, and we were there, and they took us under their shoulders. But I went to Endicott for about six months, five months, and came back to Greenville. I stayed in Greenville for about was two years, I guess, and then I went to Greenwood, from Greenwood back to Greenville. And while there, I was promoted to manager, and I was managing for about five years when I had the opportunity to come to Atlanta. And I've been a manager in five locations in Atlanta. Then time came to retire. Well, I wasn't really thinking of retiring at that time. But they they were reorganizing. That it, the, it, it, I was being chosen to go to another job doing the same thing I was doing in personnel. But by that time, I'm skipping a little ways because I got out of the technical side of the job, went into personnel assistant to us, VP, for the Southeast. So then, um, just about the time they're doing the reorganizing, and I'm going, they came out with a buyout. And I decided to take the buyout because it was two years of pay to leave, and I was 60 years old, and the new manager of the new organization I was being developed into kept saying, you can't go, I, you, you, you can't leave this job. And I said, if you think that at 60 years old, I'm gonna turn down two years of pay 
to go, you think you get another thought coming. So what he and I worked out, that I would come back and work part-time called a supplemental with IBM. And I stayed 18 years as a supplemental part-time. Some of that time was full-time. Um, the last five years, I had a regular job going in the 1st of July and working until the end of October every year. Now, that wasn't all I did with IBM at that time because now I had a blank time from from October back to the next July. Since I was on enrolled, I was an employee all that time. When managers needed somebody for a short period of time, I knew a lot of the jobs by then. They'd come to me because if they'd go out and hire somebody, they had to go through a lot of paperwork, a lot of approvals, but I could go to work and all they had to do is pay me. So I spent a lot of time uh, during my period off, that, but between October and July, I, I worked a lot of time. So my job at that time here at the church, doing my work here, was not always on Monday. I'd come in when I wasn't working. After a, a while, then I left. But when I was 80 years old, and um, in March I told him I'd probably turn in that computer in, in, in October, September. So I came here, and I've had a Monday morning job ever since, working, and, and I have loved it. The, the things they let me, I have my own desk here, and my own computer, and so it, it's a wonderful time, and I've reached 93 and still got a job every morning, every Monday morning. Well, you've already asked my, answered my next question, because I was about to ask it, and I was trying to find the tactful way to do it. How old are you? But you just threw it out there, and I'm thankful that you did that, because that, that's a remarkable story. I mean, I, and we're going to have to have you back, I think, several times, because you have, I think, many, many more stories to tell that, are, that our people are just going to love hearing. Uh, but one thing I want before we close out... Uh, I'm kind of curious. You were, you, you've been telling me for the past several weeks about these voice lessons that you have going on. Because, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what you think you sound like, but across this, I think you sound great. But I know that you're going through some kind of exercises and therapy or something for your voice. Yeah, well, my, my voice has been going down, down, down. And uh, it, it's so low that sometimes people can't hear me six feet or eight or feet away. And I went to an ENT to get her to, it's a lady doctor, and she took a picture and says, in my throat there's a, there's a little defect, if you will, of my voice box. So she decided I ought to go to a speech therapist. So the purpose in, in conversations with the speech therapist that they gathered it, the reason I didn't have the problem in the past because that defects there. The last 11 years I was with IBM in the job in personnel, I, I spent a lot of time around the country, mostly in the southeast, doing seminars on IBM benefits and pre-retirement and working with people at retirement. But it's all the way from... 10 people in Augusta, Georgia to 200 on Madison Avenue. But 
I, I felt my wife keeps saying my voice is going down. Other people mentions it. So I'm now taking voice, I guess, uh, speech therapy every six weeks. And I've learned to sing. She tells me to sing while I'm in the car. Uh, I read books, read out loud to myself as I read the book. I say the E's, I's, O's. And I went back, I've only had two sessions. The second one was six weeks, was six weeks into it. And I was encouraged when she said, your voice is much better or is better, I don't think it was much better. But even I, the other day I had somebody I was speaking to that I hadn't seen in a while says, hey, your voice is coming up. So I'm now, I'll, I will be going back in six weeks, in, would be in January, I guess, but you, you might see me going down the road, if you see my, my voice, my mouth going, I'm singing. <laughs> so, that's that's an amazing story. I, I, every time you tell me that, I just I, that's that's an amazing story to me. I, I love hearing that. So, uh, well, we look forward to having you back because I, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy hearing you and hearing what else you have to say. Uh, so, I'd like to thank everybody else. Uh, before we actually leave, I want to tell you one thing. You are you are a treasure around here. Uh, I remember. I think maybe not too long after I first got here, a little over a year ago, I think we celebrated your birthday. Uh, here and 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 I remember thinking, man, all these people are talking about Harold, and it's like I feel like I'm missing out here, and uh, and so it's been a pleasure for me to get to know you. Uh, so as I as we sign out, I want to tell everybody thanks for listening. Uh, this has been uh, Gary McIntyre with Harold Bannister in our first episode of This Is My Story, and this is Digital DBC, where Dunwoody Baptist Church meets in the digital world. Uh, thank you for joining us. We will see you next time. <laughs>